Thank you, and good morning, everyone. I hope everyone has had a good uh, Thanksgiving, um, despite these strange times. Um, today, I want to be talking a little bit more about Thanksgiving, and our sermon text today is on Luke chapter 17, uh, verses 11 uh, to 19. But before I begin there, um, I just want to talk a little bit about some of my past. Um, I remember during my early Christian years, there, there has always been one question that loomed over my head that almost never got answered. And I would always ask my friends incessantly, nonstop, they'd just be like, Brandon, don't you have any other questions to ask? And I would ask them, what is faith? And for me, this was a really important question because I was thinking, is faith just blind trust that everything will turn out okay? Is faith just head knowledge that Jesus saved me and that is all? Uh, what if someone believed in God but never went to church? Uh, what if someone claims to be a Christian and yet lives their life without any discernible difference uh, compared to any other ordinary person? Does that person still have faith? So what is faith? And more importantly, what does faith look like? Uh, now obviously these, these questions are pretty deep um, and we could probably talk about this from now till eternity. Uh, but I believe that Jesus gives us a clear picture and also a really clear example of what faith looks like. Uh, but in order to fully understand this picture, I want us to, for a moment, imagine that we are no longer ourselves. I want us to imagine that for, you know, for, for the next couple of minutes that you're no longer living in 21st century America, uh, but I want you guys to imagine yourselves as the outcasts of society the outcasts of society. I want us to imagine that whenever someone sees us, they would walk the other way. That whenever someone even dares to come close enough to us, the only thing we can do is beg that they would have enough compassion to give us their spare change. I want us to imagine for a moment that we are not only hated by the rest of society, but I also want us to imagine that we live every day of our lives believing that we are also hated by God. In this imaginary world, we have no money, no family, no friends, and no hope that there will be a brighter future. Because in this imaginary world, at least, uh, we are no longer who we are now, but we are lepers who are cursed by a skin disease that cannot be treated and cannot be healed. And Unfortunately, in this imaginary world, fortunately it is imaginary, uh, it only goes downhill from here. Now, with this terrible sinking feeling of despair and sadness, uh, let us begin our scripture reading today. And I'm going to uh, read it verse by verse and we'll continue through uh, as we go through the sermon. But we're going to start from verses 11 to 13. And it reads, now on his way to Jerusalem, him being Jesus, uh, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And so our story uh, today introduces us to a point um, in Jesus' ministry where he is slowly making his way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but also to where he'll eventually uh, die on the cross. 
And as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, he passes by a village on the border of Samaria in Galilee, where he's met by 10 lepers who are outside of the village. Now, earlier I, I asked you guys to imagine yourselves as lepers. And the reason I asked us to do this is because being a leper in the first century was a fate probably worse than death. You would probably want to die before you contracted leprosy. Uh, leprosy was a terrible skin disease that had no treatment and no cure. If you contracted leprosy, uh, you might first begin to notice that you have lesions all over your body, on your skin. Your hair begins to fall off. Your fingers and your toes begin to feel numb. Eventually, as the days go by, uh, you get total paralysis in your hand and your feet. And your foot might start to develop lesions too that never heal and get infected. And unfortunately for some people who suffer from leprosy, they might also end up going blind. So, as a leper, there really was no hope that your body will one day get better. But instead, as your life progresses, as each morning you wake up, you realize your hands become progressively numb. Your skin gets progressively worse, and everything gets worse day by day. Now, not only does a suffer, uh, not only does a leper suffer physically, but they also suffer socially as well. Their families would not see them because it was believed to be a highly contagious uh, skin disease. They weren't allowed inside the village, but they were forced outside to prevent it from spreading. Uh, which explains why, in this text at least, we see that the ten lepers are actually outside the village. Because of how bad it damages the nerves in the hand and the feet and throughout the body, they obviously could not work. So they had to beg to survive. And so these lepers were like outsiders in their own hometown. But perhaps worst of all is that lepers were seen as living under a divine curse. Since people in the first century, they, they obviously had no concept of microscopic organisms that invade your body. They believed that if a person contracted leprosy, they must have done something terribly wrong in their lives. They were seen as visible images of God's judgment against sin. They could not participate in temple worship. They could not receive forgiveness of their sin. They could not be approached by priests to give in words of comfort. They were, they were seen as unclean, not only in the eyes of society, but they were also seen as unclean in the eyes of God. Now, not, now, no longer, sorry, now, they are no longer just outcasts of society, but now they are outcasts of God's kingdom as well. And as these ten lepers, who were seen as unclean and untouchable, when they saw Christ walk by the village, they, they stood at a distance, afraid that they might scare off Jesus if they got too close with their disease. Instead, they cried out from afar, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, what's interesting in Luke is, is the word master. It's actually just used in the Gospel of Luke. You can't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. It's used specifically in Luke. And what's, what's more interesting is that every time you do see the word master, it is usually the disciples who are calling Jesus master. And almost in every circumstance, after the disciples say master, Jesus does something miraculous. Uh, whether it could be, master, save us, we're on this boat, and there's waves everywhere, Jesus calms the waves. Or, 
when uh, Jesus also heals the woman who cannot stop bleeding. Every time you see the word master in the Gospel of Luke, it's almost like a code word that Jesus is about to do something miraculous. That Jesus is not just master over the disciples or even master over the lepers, but Jesus is indeed master over all of creation. And so as these ten lepers, when they cry out to Jesus to have pity on him, how does Jesus respond? So let's continue reading uh, verse 14. And it reads, When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now what Jesus asked them to do here is actually quite unusual. According to the Old Testament laws, priests only functioned as one thing. They functioned as purity inspectors. They made sure that people were not only ritually clean to worship God, but also ritually clean enough to rejoin society. So without a priest's approval, there is no hope that a person could be restored either into religious life or even social life. But that is exactly what makes Jesus' command so unusual. Priests only functioned as inspectors. They were not doctors. They didn't provide any therapeutic process. They were not healers. So a leper would only see a priest after they were healed, not before. And so this command to go for, for Jesus to say, go see the priest, would be so unusual to the lepers. We can, we can almost imagine them asking, what do you mean? <laughs> go see the priest, Jesus? Can you not still see? I have lesions on my skin. Can you see that I'm still not lame in my foot? Can you still see I'm not paralyzed? But it is in this exact moment we begin to answer our question. What is faith? One aspect of faith is the ability to hope when there is no hope. It is the ability to believe against all odds. It is the ability to expect the impossible because we understand that Jesus is master not only of our lives, but master of all creation. It is faith in understanding that there is simply nothing outside of God's good and perfect control. It is faith in knowing that if Jesus tells us to walk, we will walk knowing that our steps are guided by Christ's loving will. And so, as these lepers walked, they walked with hope in the midst of hopelessness. If leprosy was a disease that made their whole bodies unclean, then they realized that they can only find their hope in the one person that could make them clean. And as they walked, they were cleansed. Before they reached the priests, God brought healing into their lives. But God not only brought physical healing, but also social and spiritual healing as well. They're no longer plagued with the defiling skin disease that made life unbearable. They're no longer separated from their friends and families. And more importantly, they're no longer separated from society and seen as untouchable. They were welcomed home to live a new life. But not only were they finally welcomed in the presence of their friends and families, but now they are finally welcomed to stand in the presence of God, to be seen as clean and unblemished by God, to have all their sins wiped away, and to be able to finally walk into the house of God. 
Now, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us all today by telling you that when God saves, he doesn't just save a part of you, but he saves all of you. That there is no aspect of your life that is untouched by God's grace. And I want to encourage us today by telling you all of the hope in a new resurrected body that will never perish. I want to encourage us today by telling you that you all, that although we might feel we are separated from society, whether it's quarantine or for other reasons, we are now brought into a new society and into a new family in Christ where we are deeply loved. And I want to encourage us today by telling you that God's love and forgiveness is given to us anew every day. For as the Apostle Paul writes, he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you all to have the boldness and the faith to hope, to have the boldness and the faith to hope knowing that you are not partially saved through Christ, but that you are completely saved through Christ. And so how did these lepers, how did they respond to the saving grace of Christ? So I'll continue reading from verses 15 to 16. And it reads, one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Now, as we, as we read in verse 15, uh, a couple of questions might have, might have come to mind. Why return to Jesus to give glory to God? Why not just go to the temple or the synagogue and give glory there? Right? Why not complete what Jesus instructed and go see the priests like the other nine? And here is where we return back to the question, what is faith? The first part of faith, which I mentioned before, is knowing that Christ not only has the power to save us and heal us, but Christ indeed has saved us and healed us, right? This is, after all, the, the gospel message that we call all people to believe in, right? Even though we're sinful or unclean, God has graciously forgiven us of our sins and saved us uh, through Christ's death and resurrection on the cross, right? That is the gospel message that we all have hope in. But the question is, is, there all, is, that, is that all there is to faith? Is faith just knowledge of Christ's work? Is faith just knowledge that Christ came to us just like how Christ came to the lepers? I believe that this is one aspect of faith, knowing that Christ came to us. But I believe that without the other aspect of faith, it is incomplete. So, what is the other aspect of faith? If the first aspect of faith is knowing Christ came to us, the second aspect of faith must be our return to him. I want us to remember for a moment, close your eyes, whatever you want to do, I want us to remember a moment in our lives where Christ's presence was so tangible. It was as if he was right here, right next to you, sitting next to you. I want you to remember that moment. This could be a moment where you committed your life to Christ. It could be during a, a prayer meeting or maybe even during a Sunday worship. I want you to remember that moment. And if you've never felt Christ's presence, that is okay too. Um, you can follow along and place yourself in the leper's shoe, like we did earlier, and imagine that your life just made a complete 180. And as you're imagining or as you're remembering all these feelings of calmness, 
of peace or joy or, or whatever emotion else, uh, or whatever else emotion you felt during that time, I want you to ask, I'm gonna ask you this question. During that moment, what did your heart yearn for the most? What did your heart yearn for the most? I find it striking that in the passage that we just read, that one out of the 10 lepers, he did not care to be certified by the priest to rejoin society. He didn't care. The world and what others thought of him at that moment no longer mattered. This one leper's priority was found not in returning to the world, not in returning to society, not in returning to his friends and families. His one priority was to return to Jesus. And in that moment, where we felt Christ's presence, I wonder if we did not feel the same way as a leper did in this passage. That in the presence of Christ, in receiving the grace of Christ, I wonder if all the trivial aspects of life melted away and the only thing we could think of was, Lord, let me just be with you. So this desire of our hearts, I believe, is the second aspect of faith. If we have been saved by Christ in all aspects of our lives, our only response is to return to God. Now, what does this return look like? Uh, the first thing we see in this passage is that as the leper is returning to Christ, he first praises God. And the thing is, we don't praise God just because he deserves it. We praise God because for who he is as a person, that as we experience God's power in our lives, we praise that, Lord, you are indeed powerful, that as we experience God's faithfulness in our lives, we say, Lord, you are indeed faithful, and as we experience God's loving kindness in our hearts, we praise that, Lord, you indeed are loving. The second thing we see in the leper's return is that he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. Earlier in the passage, as, as if you guys remember, as Christ came to the lepers, they all, all of them called out to him as master. But in the verse we just read earlier, there is only one leper who demonstrates that Christ is truly his master. There is only one leper who acknowledges that Christ is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords that only Christ has dominion and authority over all created things and over all of our lives. And as we realize that our lives are no longer our own, but instead bought by the blood of Christ, then our return to him is marked with a posture of humility and respect, knowing that we don't just call Christ our Lord, but he is indeed the Lord of all. And the final thing, we see in the leper's return is thanksgiving. Gratitude and appreciation are the appropriate responses to God's grace. The leper obviously has done nothing to deserve God's grace, and yet he was healed. And like the leper, we also have done nothing to deserve God's grace, and yet we are saved. So if this is indeed true, then we thank God not just because it's the polite thing to do or it's the expected thing to do, but it's genuinely the only thing we can do. Not in a million years, not in all of eternity, can I repay God for his faithfulness in my life. 
And if I cannot repay God with my actions, then I can, give God, then I can only give God one thing, and that is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving that he is faithful, thanksgiving that he is savior, and thanksgiving that he is our healer. And as the passage continues and, and the leper falls at the feet of Christ with thanksgiving, Luke, he, he actually drops the big shocker of this passage, which I've been, I've been kind of holding off to the end, um, that this leper is not only ostracized and cast away because of his skin disease, but he's also cast away and ostracized because he is a Samaritan. Luke continues the story with Jesus' response to the man's thanksgiving by saying, we're not all ten cleansed, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And for my final point today, before we wrap things up, I, I want to focus on Jesus' choice of word in calling this man a foreigner. Earlier in, in the passage, in verse 11, we see that Jesus is traveling between the borders of Galilee and Samaria, uh, which suggests that if Jesus comes by a village, uh, he might encounter some non-Jewish people. And by verse 16, we learn that the one who returned to Jesus is indeed a non-Jewish person. He is not only just a non-Jewish person, but he is more importantly a Samaritan. Now, why is Luke mentioning the fact that this man is a Samaritan so important? In the eyes of the Jews during that time, Samaritans were seen as half-breed heretics. They were seen as half-Israelites and half-Gentiles, but all together as heretics since they had their own temple, they had their own priests, and they even had their own version of the Torah. They were seen as outside the redemptive scope of God's salvation, and more importantly, they were seen as outside of Abraham's children. They were seen as outside of Abraham's children. And because they were outside of the lineage of Abraham, the Jews actually never dealt with the Samaritans, and a bitter hostility existed between the two. And you can even see this in Jesus' words and how he captures how the Jewish people saw the Samaritans by labeling this man as a foreigner. Now, in a previous sermon, I, I mentioned about how the word foreigner, it was actually inscribed onto the temple that forbade the entry of foreigners into the Jerusalem temple unless they wanted to be stoned to death. Yet, what is so unique and shocking in this passage is not that this man is a Samaritan or that the fact that this man is a foreigner. What is shocking is that this Samaritan foreigner shows himself to be the real child of God. It is only this ostracized and hated person who responds with behavior that is appropriate of an authentic child of Abraham. And in a grand reversal, it's, it's funny that it's not the Jews who respond to Jesus in a faithful way, but it's an outsider who is marginalized, who is cast aside, who responds to Christ with faith. It is only this Samaritan amongst the other Jewish lepers who returns to Christ with praise, with humility, and with thanksgiving. And as a result of his faith, Jesus ends this narrative by telling the Samaritan, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Faith not only in the sense of trusting God, since all ten trusted God and they're all healed, but also faith in the sense of returning back to God with thanksgiving and praise. 
All 10 lepers, they were healed from their dreaded disease due to their trust in Christ, but only the Samaritan has gained the right to be called a child of God, despite being, being a foreigner. So, what is faith? Faith is like two sides of a coin. On one side, it is trusting and believing that Christ came to save us and the world from sin and evil through his death and resurrection on the cross. It is trusting that this salvation comes as a free gift from God, which is open to all people, no matter how sinful they are or how far they think they are from God. This is a free gift that is given to all that we all have our hope in. But the other side of the coin is just as important. Receiving this free gift of salvation do we respond appropriately? If Christ came to us, do we go to him with praise, with humility, and thanksgiving? Brothers and sisters, as I end the sermon, let us remember who has brought healing into our lives, who has been with us during the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Let us remember his faithfulness to us. Let us remember the glorious future that is promised to us as children of God. And as we remember what Christ has done for us, let us come together as one body and one church to bring praise to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today uh, to bring praise for who you are. We praise you for your love. We praise you for your faithfulness. Uh, but we praise you all the more for your sacrifice for us on the cross. Lord, you have given your life for us so that we can give our lives to you. You have, been our, you have been faithful to us, even in our unfaithfulness to you. So we pray today that as we live the rest of our brief days of our lives, that we will live it to the fullest in honoring and glorifying you. Mold us, Lord. Shape us. And give us a heart full of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name I pray.